It is good to worship with you this morning, brothers and sisters. Let me read something for you. Eugene Peterson. The jolt comes variously. A stab of pain, a rush of beauty, an encore of joy, we exclaim, God! The cry can be complaint or curse or praise, no matter, it's prayer. When that deep, deep center of our lives is exposed, our core humanity that the biblical writers so vigorously designate as heart, we unthinkingly revert to our first language. We pray. For some, that's the end of it. Brief and random exclamations scattered haphazardly across a lifetime. But others of us, not content to be our true selves only occasionally, hunt for a way to cultivate fluency. More often than not, that hunt turns up in a quarry in the Psalms. And that is where we find ourselves this morning, on a Sunday morning, is it not? The jolts that we've had this week, perhaps this year, they've been stabs of pain, rushes of beauty and joy, and we've cried out, God, we've prayed, cursed, mumbled under our breath, asked why, and sought answers to the mystery of the divine in our life. As Peterson said, we are on the search for fluency, facility, some kind of taste of being our true selves as we live as faithful followers of Christ. We truly are on a hunt in the Psalms, a hunt as we ask real and raw questions of a life of faith, asking these songs in the Psalms to warm our hearts and to show us the truth of God and His working in our life. Our sermon title this morning is, Whose Words Will I Trust? Now, that might seem like a silly question to ask during a Christian worship service. The Sunday school answer is, Jesus. Good job. And that is all well and fine, but I'm not asking whose words you will trust when you're posed the question in a religious setting like this one. I'm asking whose words will you trust tomorrow? When God seems far off, like we discussed last week in Psalm 10. I'm asking, whose words will you trust when you're waiting for God to deliver you? Like we considered in Psalm 6. I'm asking, whose words will you trust when you are in dry seasons of your life? And like Psalm 1, you have seasons that don't bear fruit. Well, my main point this morning is simply this. Faithful followers of Christ trust God's words. And I think Psalm 12 will help us as we aim to do that. Would you read with me, please? Psalm 12, verses 1 through 8. That was going to bug me if I left that there. 
Psalm 12. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. The tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who? Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace of the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Well, there's two categories here. Two categories where our writer David breaks the song into. The first is simply this. We have the lies that we hear. Verses 2 through 4 give us an idea of the kind of lies that David is hearing. He finds himself in a season of life, a setting, a culture, in a community where it seems that there are no faithful, godly encouragers. No truth speakers around him. Everyone is uttering lies. Everyone is bending the truth. As we read, he describes these liars as having flattering lips, double speak, saying one thing but meaning another. These liars make great boasts that reveal pride and self-sufficiency and a posture of independence and arrogance that sins against the law of God. They lie in verse 2, breaking the ninth commandment to not bear false witness. They plunder in verse 5, breaking the eighth and tenth commandment to not steal or to covet. What kinds of lies, I wonder, do you and I hear in the life that God has given us? Perhaps we wouldn't make a hyperbolic statement that everyone around us is lying, but we do hear lies, do we not? There is a number of ways to split this, but I'd like to put it into two frames. Frame number one, what lies do others tell you? Now, I'm not talking about the obvious ones like advertising. We know it's not pure juice. That's a lie. But here's a lie. Some people aren't as valuable as others. That can be subtle. Not just a lie in word, but a lie in action. God shows, however, the scripture says, God shows no partiality. James 2.1 says that's a lie because he says, my brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So how might this lie 
be communicated? How might you hear this? Well, some people are more valuable than others because of their age. The unborn, not valuable. Teenagers, especially not valuable. Have you seen them drive? Elderly, not valuable. Don't matter. Okay, maybe it's not age. Maybe some people are more valuable than others because of their status. Singles, feel like you're not valuable? That's a lie. That's a lie that even the church communicates in word and action. Unemployed? Well, maybe it's not age or status in which we hear lies that people are less valuable. Maybe it's they're less valuable because of their conviction. Oh, they're an atheist. They're a Muslim. They politically lean this way, so they are less valuable. Or just even whoever the bad guys are. Whoever disagrees with you, they're less valuable. Is that not a lie that we see everywhere in our culture? That the other guys are less valuable? Well, how about this lie? This life is all that there is. Make the most of it. You ever hear that lie? Well, Mark 8.35 says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So how might this lie, make the most of it, how might that lie be told to you? Well, certainly in our culture, sexually, make the most of it. Pornography, uh, a culture of pornography, those who are engaged in it, even in our church, that's a lie. Make the most of it. Chasing experience. Make the most of it. Money. That's what you need. Build up treasures on earth. Or you know how you should really make the most of this life? By committing your allegiance, not to Jesus, but to the temporary things of this world. Self, temporary human institutions. Make the most of it. That's a lie. Or here's another lie that we say in the church often. The Christian life must look like this. That's a lie. It's a lie when we overemphasize external performance in our Christian lives. It's a lie when we say, no one here, no Christian wrestles with faith, fear, and doubt. That's a lie. There's no suffering relationally. Physically, there's no suffering in the local church. That's a lie. And sometimes we want to hear lies from other people. I can't help but think of the song by Fleetwood Mac that goes something like this. I'm not going to sing it. Tell me lies. Tell me sweet little lies. Yes, sweetie, your chicken coop looks great. Thanks, honey. Yes, Matt, your thinning hair looks full. But our psalm forces us to consider another frame. Are we only hearing lies from other people? 
Who speaks to you more than yourself? And yes, this is normal. We all have a running commentary through the day of an interpretation of the world that we see around us. So, frame number two. What lies do you tell yourself? Here's a lie. I have no worth or value. That's a lie. Psalm 139 says, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I have value. Or the season of life that you're in. Perhaps you feel like you have no value because you're a desperate mom with little ones. Because you're an old grandpa who gets up a little more slowly than you used to. Because you find yourself in a season where you don't quite have the facility that you did at another season. So you think, I'm not valuable. Or we think we're not valuable or have worth because our performance is lacking. And I think this is the one that I encounter the most with genuine faithful followers of Christ. Guilt-laden Christians who say, I have no value or worth because my performance as a Christian has been here instead of here. I read a helpful word this week who comments on this lie, and he says this, If my value is based on what others perceive about me, then I must always present an acceptable outside. Since I cannot always do that, I must become better and better and better about hiding the truth about myself from those whose opinion I value or whose relationship I fear to lose. This way of the lie is a setup for failure. No matter how careful I am to separate the real me from the public me, I do not have enough energy to keep up the wall in place at all times. The truth will get out, often with devastating results. Even if the carefully constructed facade never crumbles, the inner toil of integrity and the ability to share intimately with another is immense. We live life knowing it is all a lie. People only care for me because they don't know the real me. If they did, they would reject me because the real me is unacceptable. Have you ever had thoughts like that? Well, I'll tell you where this lie is from. The depths of hell itself. There is great danger in how we lie to ourselves in the midst of even our Lakewood community. When we put on masks, when we lack honesty, and as Wilson said, when we live a constructed facade, we fail to live in relational community. We fail to see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the midst of our dangerous journey, this difficult and weary road, this life of faith. 
We fail to see the body of Christ, the church, as a hospital for wounded sinners. This is not a country club. This is the family of God where we come to help and serve one another. If you are not aiming to do that, you are not really actively a part of our family. So God help us to grow in this. So that is a lie. I have no worth or value. But here's another lie. I have to determine my own identity. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The most common phrase to describe a faithful follower of Christ in the Scriptures is their identity in Christ. In Christ. That's our identity. So sometimes we lie to ourselves when we say, who I am in Christ is not enough. My performance has to get me there. Or sometimes we lie about our identity when we say, I am who I feel I am. Because we have to be in control in our own mind. Or sometimes we lie to ourselves when it comes to identity and we say, I am my political party. Or I am my favorite sport or gender or sexual desire. No. You are in Christ. That's your identity. But another lie that we will often say to ourselves is this. It's okay if I pursue this sin. We say that to ourselves every week, if not every day. Paul says this in Romans 6, 2, God forbid, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So there is a lie that we say to ourselves when we say, my lack of integrity, my lack of integrity, it won't affect anyone. It's done in secret. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says this, the righteous who walks in his integrity Blessed are his children after him. Mom and dad, do you think that your lack of integrity in private has no effect? Mom and dad, your integrity, Scripture says, blesses your children whether they see it or not. We lie to ourselves and we say, oh, you know, a little bit of sin won't hurt anything. Oh, my, my decision wasn't wrong. I didn't make a poor choice. I'm just a victim of circumstance or relationship. See, like David, you and I can readily say everyone utters lies to his neighbor, including ourselves. And we are more prone to believe the lies than we would like to admit. With the advent of social media in recent history, everyone seems to be in a place where there is no lack of information, no lack of opinion or spin. There's no lack of an indoctrination to what you and I should do, think, or even say. So you and I, we become skeptical. We become untrusting, frustrated, and even angry. If verse 2 is correct, everyone lies to their neighbor. If everyone has an agenda, if no one can be trusted, 
where do I go? What should I do? Can I find a news source that is trustworthy and not biased? Is there a blog out there, a podcast, a channel on TV, a secret feed, maybe, that I can get that you can text me? No, really, I'm asking, do you have one? We want truth. Well, this naturally leads us to David's second category. Not the lies we hear, but now the truth we cling to. Verse 5 is the transition. Look at verse 5 again. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. In contrast to the plundering and the lies of everyone else, the Lord will act and bring safety. This phrase at the end of verse 5 really stuck with me this past week. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Isn't that a perfect description of David? He longs for safety, joy, restoration, and truth. Thousands of years have passed, and we sit here this morning at Lakewood with the same longings. We see that David's life and ours is a battle of words. It's a battle of lies. Everyone, including us, are speaking versus the words of the Lord. David describes the Lord's words in verse 6 as pure, refined, perfect, trustworthy. Are these pure words able to fulfill the safety for which we long? The answer is a resounding yes. Because these verses are fulfilled in the person, the work, and the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Apostle John's gospel, we read this in chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So for generations, the people of God had the word of God, the scriptures, that as one writer said, failed, failed in a sense to bring and change the hearts of a self-focused people. So God sent a different kind of word to bring the battle of words to completion. Jesus became the embodied word who revealed the truth, security, and joy, and forgiveness that our soul has been longing for is found in him. His perfect life, sacrificial death, and resurrection from the dead is the historical event that settled once and for all the battle, the battle of words and truth. The God-man who ascended to the heavens and sits at the right hand of the Father, this Savior is, as he said in John 14, the way, 
the truth, and the life. The safety for which we long for in Psalm 12, 5 is found in the pure word, Jesus Christ. Notice again at verse 7. You, O Lord, will keep them. Keep what? What will God keep? That pronoun, them, connects back to verse 6. The words of the Lord. God will keep His word. God will keep His promises. God will act in accordance with what He has spoken. God will apply the truth of the gospel. God isn't capping. God maintains truth, honesty, integrity. What he has revealed is right and good and true. And the implication, the implication of that true word in our guarding, it is our guarding. He will protect us. He does give forgiveness satisfaction, and joy in Christ. Yes, verse 8, the wicked may prowl. We may be surrounded by all kinds of lies and half-truths. So go to a source you can trust. Go to a news source that offers an eternal perspective. Go to the one who desires to place you in the safety for which you long for. Do the lies of this world and the lies you tell yourself bring any kind of satisfaction? You know they don't. Run to Christ. Run to His Word. So this week, who will you trust? When you are tempted by sin, will you believe the lie That that thing may promise you? Will your anger, lust, greed, frustration, impatience, judging of others, being loyal to temporary things, will these things bring you safety and joy this week? Will you trust your running to sin again and again? Or will you trust God's word and God's way? This week, when your circumstances speak and look contrary to the promises of God, when life looks as though God is far off and not real, when your circumstances put real doubt in your heart and mind as to His control and kindness, who will you trust? Will you trust your take and understanding of this world or His? When flawed and broken people hurt you and speak hurtful things, perhaps. When your relationships are fractured by sin and preference and misunderstandings this week. Who will you listen to? Will you believe lies and half-truths and perceptions, theirs and yours? Or will you look to the pure words of Christ to determine your identity in life? When you speak to yourself this week, you know that running commentary that we all have? The good thoughts and the dark, secretive thoughts you'd be embarrassed for anyone to know. 
What will you do when your thoughts, words, and ideas conflict with His? Will you like verses 3 and 4, make great boasts and seek to be the master of your own life? Will you trust your imperfect perception and understanding? Will you rely on your intellect and emotional acumen to have accuracy on things you see around you? Or will you trust His Word and His truth? Faithful followers of Christ trust God's words. Resolve now, as you leave here, for another week in the life that God has given us, to resolve to trust His words supremely. Aim to go to Christ and the Scriptures, enabled by the Spirit of God. Aim not to add and say more than the Scriptures say, and certainly don't say less. Allow God's Word to be the source of truth that will be the guide for our lives. Because as verse 5 said, He will place us in the safety for which we long. And by way of encouragement, brothers and sisters, this is already true of your life. God has been and is graciously working in you and through you as faithful followers. You are growing in your following of His words and not your own. He is in the midst of pruning your heart our hearts and minds, to put more stock in His truth than the lies of this world. He is enabling you not to be skeptical, not to be harsh, not to be rude to others with words, but to carefully process the words that we hear in this life through the Scriptures. May He continue to work in our midst. He is kind, isn't He? Would you pray with me? Father, that, that is our prayer this morning. That we would, when we hear lies that others speak, or when we hear lies that we speak to ourselves, that the safety for which we long for would be found in the truth of your scriptures. Lord, we confess that we're often prone to believe things without processing them through your word. Lord, we admit that we're often prone to believe things even if we don't have a rationale to really believe them. We're prone to speak lies to ourselves and to others. And Lord, for that we confess and we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, each of us have a responsibility as faithful followers of Christ to speak truth, to speak encouragement, to speak your word. So, Lord, would you be kind to enable us this week to be truth tellers, to be encouragers. And, Lord, as we hear contrary things to your word, would you give us wisdom? Thank you that the battle of words has been won. Thank you that the true and pure refined word came in the person of Christ. Thank you for our Savior. May he be with us this week. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.